Dear lovely fans of Monkeys and Playbills, welcome to the podcast that Mandy Patinkin is sure not going to want you to hear. Oh. It's Monkeys and Playbills, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd want to hear it. I think you'd want to hear it. <laughs> And that is Peter freaking Fernandez. And we're so excited to have you on the pod this week. I am excited and scared to be here. Same. (laughs) Peter Fernandez is a, just a force of nature in Canadian theater. Um, Appearances all over TV, all over some of the coolest theaters in the country. A few seasons at the Shaw Festival recently. Yes. Um, Jill and I, here, you know what, here, before we do this, let's just go really quick. This is Monkeys and Playbills. A show where we talk about musicals that ran for 100 performances or fewer on Broadway. And what the heck happened? I'm Paul DeGurse. I'm Jillian Willems. And I'm Peter Fernandez. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm here as well. Yes, you are. (laughs) We all met working on Charlie Brown at MTYP. Charlie Brown Christmas back in the day. Yeah. Well, not just Charlie Brown Christmas. A little too. It was. It was a combination. All right. Yeah. You're a good man, Charlie Brown, and Charlie Brown Christmas. Look at this. I'm already coming in with the facts, with the fun facts. <laughs> facts left. And facts boy, right. is, is, is your good man, Charlie Brown, going to pop up in our talk about this? See? I was just, just going to say two shows of similar complexity, of similar yes. depth, exactly. of similar musical complexity, tackle similar themes of how, how you're a good, racism yeah. in 1920s vaudeville. Your good man, Charlie Brown, tackles racism is. Pretty much on par with uh, the Wild Party. I love to as see as far as sensitivity and <laughs> Jesus. Shoot. Today we're talking about the Wild Party. Lippa's Wild Which Party. Which one? <laughs> we're not talking about Andrew Lippa's Wild Party. Although, to be honest, we probably will do a fair amount of talking about Lippa's Wild Party. Yes. We're talking about the Wild Party that appeared on Broadway in the 2000 theater season. That was written by Michael John Lacusa with book and direction by George C. Wolf. Yes. Bingo. Yes, correct. Nailed it. Good for you. Yes. All right. We're off to a strong start. <laughs> okay, let's uh let's get into this friggin' show because there's some stuff to talk about. Oh boy, is there. <laughs> I'll give us the dates to get us going. Yes. And then maybe we could, after that, talk about what our maybe relationship to this material is, if any at all. Yeah, if there was any going in. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the wild party, which indeed was wild. Previews began at the Virginia Theater on March 10th, 2000. It opened on April 13th, 2000 and closed June 11th, 2000 after 36 previews and 68 performances. That's not yeah. great. Yeah. Nice. That's a lot. <laughs> I haven't I haven't had a run on Broadway for that long. I know. So like, I right? Really? Say. I'd be I'd be like, yeah, this is great. I was on Broadway for 60 days. Yeah. Like, I'm right? I'm, I'm, out here, I'm out here right now. We're doing Billy Elliot in uh, Neptune Theater in Halifax. Um long run in Halifax. We're doing like 64 shows. And I'm like, yes. Great! I that's know. awesome. That's that's so many shows. That's, that's <laughs> 60 how shows many... is like, uh, yeah. oh, 60 shows. That's all you get. I was like, that's that's seven performance. Like that's seven runs of different. Absolutely, shows. it is. Yeah, <laughs> in the Canadian <laughs> theater system. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, oh, too bad for them. I mean, yeah. also though, they're they're running five million dollars. This is exactly <laughs> it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> losing yes. money at the wazoo. Oh, so. losing Oof. money yes. like mad. So this was came this premiered on Broadway in 2000. Yeah. Welcome to the 21st century. 
And but let's go back. Yeah. <laughs> let's take a time machine back to where one might ask <gasps> to, to the poem. To the oh, oh sure. Nine, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? It's because it is 1928. Yeah. Yes. I, I did some homework. Good. Okay? Yeah, you did. I did some homework and I'm going to use my notes. Yes. 1928, a poem. Joseph Moncure March. I'm sure that's right. Yeah. That's uh, it. That is exactly correct. Good work. Yeah. Who writes this poem? When he's 26 Ooh, years old. Yep. That makes sense. Wow. And he's a horny 26-year-old. Boy, is it ever horny. <laughs> It's a horny okay, play. It's a horny poem. Fi- yeah. I will say, though, it's 19... So he wrote it in, I want to say 1926 or 25, and then yeah. it wasn't published until 28. But, but, like, imagine what was happening, obviously, that would make a young adult feel all of those things and be able to yeah. write them. Like, could you imagine? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I hear it being described uh, at that time because, you know, I wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> oh, were you not? <laughs> being described, it was like, it's like, we always associate, it's like, oh, roaring 20s, yeah. right? Like all this, all this stuff, all this is debauchery. But then there's also, you know, it's it's prohibition as well. So it's yeah. like in spite of all this, all, 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 how strict things were, yeah. despite all of that, the, there's this underbelly of like, oh, we, we need to uh, express ourselves through this debauchery yeah. and yes. through uh, these these parties and things like the the entertainment industry at the time vaudeville yes are just running entirely unchecked oh yeah like there it's the yes. wild west you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as people mm-hmm. pay money to see it yeah and yeah. one of those things is blackface yeah. <laughs> yes, as, as it turns it out <laughs> so we'll, we'll uh. yeah, that's just a little primer for what we're gonna get talk yeah. about later on <laughs> <laughs> so so there's this poem and it's a huge scandal Huge scandalous poem. Yeah, it gets banned mm-hmm. in Boston. Yeah, That's they don't right. want to hear it in Boston. Almost, yeah, I don't know why just Boston, but Boston's just like no. I was gonna do like a Bostonian yeah. accent, but then I realized at the moment I, I can't. Uh, it's okay. I can't do one. It's okay. So, yeah, pa- park the car in the Harvard Yard. We don't want a no, wild party. No poems. No wild party. <laughs> we don't want it's poems. They were Catholics, right? There we go. It's the Catholics. Oh, it's yeah, the Catholics. Exactly. It has yeah. to be. They're not interested. It would have to be. I mean, good yeah. guess. Um, if, good guess. Probably. Yes. Yeah. Probably Frankly. Catholics. <laughs> All right. So then the poem happens. The poem happens, and we skip ahead to the late 90s? Yes, we do. 1994. Yeah. Art Spiegelman, who is made famous yep. for winning the Pulitzer for Mouse, which yeah. I think a lot of us read in high oh, school. Love Mouse. Right? So about mm-hmm. his Just read it very recently, actually. Uh, his father's experience with the Holocaust, uh, yeah. that graphic mm-hmm. novel. He stumbles across Wild Party, the poem, at a bookstore. And then he's talking to his good friend, William S. Burroughs, who goes, you know, Wild Party? <laughs> Wild Party is what made me want to become a writer. And Arts goes, oh, right. yeah, I should probably make some money off of this. Okay, he doesn't say that. He goes, sure you say exactly that. There's, there's something to be had here. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes like, uh, yeah, let's let's make a graphic novel. And that. Right. And that is popular. Yes. And that's yeah. how. Th- it's, not, it's not because, oh, these two composers or these two theater companies just stumbled across <laughs> this 1928 poem. No. It's because it got re-released in 94. Yeah. And everybody's like, that's in the public domain? Yes, please. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And with these images that are very striking, right? And I think that's probably what gets people really excited going, oh, I can do something with this. 
I can't do anything with a poem with rhyming. I don't know why. But anyway, now it's this big deal. They have all these iconic images to associate with that poem, therefore inspiring these two good composers. We'll see. Good, good, <laughs> yeah, composers. good composers. I would ar- I would argue they're both if the question is just are is, are Andrew Lippa and uh, Michael John Lacuse good composers? They absolutely are. Yeah. Like there we but we we got a lot more to talk about within that context. So much absolutely. To talk about. So, okay, this is a wonderful moment to ask you both whether you had a relationship to this material, whether it be the poem, the graphic novel, or either of the shows prior to this recording. I had a bit of a relationship to this. I have a not insignificant relationship to Michael John Lacusa as a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, I really dig his See What I Want to See, which is a I very bizarre would. piece. I, yeah, absolutely. I knew you would like that one. Um, and I kind of <laughs> dig uh, Little Fish, but I'd never, I checked out this wild party a few times and it had never super clicked for me. And honestly, I checked out Lippa's Wild Party, and in my opinion, like song for song, Lippa's Wild Party is more listenable, for mm-hmm. sure. Agreed. <laughs> you agree? I agree. Yeah? Yeah. So <laughs> I had in, before this, like I'd always kind of know, like Michael John McHugh said, like those are, that's a, I'm sure that's a coherent wild party. But if I was going to sit down to listen to a wild party or recommend a song from a wild party to someone, it was going to be from Lippa's. Mm-hmm. But I had absolutely not, most importantly, I definitely hadn't done a deep dive into the cultural context or the content of the show or anything like that beyond a very surface level up yeah. until doing this episode. Um, what about you guys? Way bigger relationship with Lippa's. That's for sure. Yeah, it felt sure. like, I don't know. I don't want to say that this is exactly what got me into like bootlegs on YouTube. Mm. But I felt like a bunch of us musical theater nerds, we were like, oh, oh, we can find these songs. And it felt it felt kind of underground that we found Lippa's Wild Party, the off-Broadway yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Even though it was bigger than the other one. Go, yeah. Oh, we found this. Like, oh, cool. And oh, oh, it's Adina Menzel. And it's right. It? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then as any, you know, young, aspiring baritone and or tenor, you're going, I <sighs> want to sing all the songs in Lippa's oh. version. <laughs> oh, I'm going to use this in all my auditions. Uh, have you, like, have you auditioned with What Is It About Her at some point? No, because I'm scared of it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, you'd sound great. You would sound incredible. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, but then uh, I I think, you know, when I when I started looking more into Lippa's version, I yeah. at the same time got the album for Lacuses because you, you, you had to be cool. You had to know both of those. Did mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. almost yeah. ever, did I listen to Lacuses at all? No. Mm-mm. No. Always Lippa's. But there was a production in Toronto like 2015 and I watched yep. that I watched uh and that was Lacuse's version and I really enjoyed yep. that production mm. so that cool was version. kind of my better intro into yeah. Lacuse's uh, when when Very I was nice. like you know young musical theater nerd it was Lippa all the way I mean I'm still a little Lippa all the way but, <laughs> but we'll talk sure. about the reasons why later yeah. yes <laughs> I can't wait but yeah that's my relationship with this material oh. yeah what about you, Johnson? I have no relationship. No, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. I, uh, you know, when you're like a dance teacher for eight years and you have to come up with ideas for your like competitive students to do like their solos and duos, and so you look into every <laughs> musical that's ever existed. That is how I came across Lacusa's version. 
um, because a pair of my students did Best Friend, um, which is the Kate Queenie duet where they're sort of snide uh, to one another. <laughs> is that literally the only option in the show for a dance for like the kids could do as a as something? From- yeah, because it's like shady, but it's like you can play it off as like sassy and kind of funny and bitter, and it's hilarious when two 15 year olds are like so jaded. Like to me, that's so funny. <laughs> and at least it's not overtly sexual or racist so, or misogynistic. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So that's what, uh, that was my Lacusa weigh in. But I will say uh, Lippa was more embedded in my brain because it does have more of a commercial sound. And so when you're in your 20s and you're exploring your vocal range, as Peter indicated, you're sort of like, oh, what is my, where do I fit? What is my vocal kind of styling? Plus it's like the mid 2000s and you're like, oh, well, I only get 16 bars, so I better sing the end of... Life of the Party. Whatever song. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... And then also Stephanie Sai Skrelting It. You kind of go, oh, that's a good song. And again, like you, Paul, I didn't really have much context as far as the poem. I knew it was a poem, but I didn't know uh, the story until this deep dive. So here we are. This is a significant divergence off topic, but Daph, I would strongly encourage you to include this in. I played Life of the Party for Steph Sai at a Mayor's Luncheon Award. Um, she was like, she'd been asked for like, it was the Mayor's Luncheon for the Arts in Winnipeg or whatever. Uh, and so Steph, Steph asked to sing and I played well, and she chose Life of the Party. And so this comes right after um, Debbie Patterson. I'm not sure if you've ever um, ran into her when you're in Winnipeg, Peter. She's this incredible, um, she's been a guest on our show before. She's this incredible at performer and director and producer and just like a fucking force for good in the world. And she gives has just she was the keynote speaker and she just given this big speech about how we need to essentially like tear down the patriarchy and capitalism and really like an awesome speech to give at a mayor's <laughs> luncheon where everyone's kinda feeling weird. And then immediately following that is this performance and Life of the Party starts with Who needs money? Ah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we started and Deb's partner Arn is in the front row and Steph sings the first line who needs money not me and Arn goes ha <laughs> right in the front row <laughs> um, that's amazing so that's a sh- that's a song that's not from the show we're talking about today we're not going to be able to talk about I the Jesus Law know. Party without talking about Lippas Nobody did. Nobody. All the reviews. Everybody yep. who yep. talked about Lacusa's Wild Party talked about Lipas, and everybody who talked about Lipas talked about Lacusa's. So we're just gonna have to. Yep. We're just gonna preface this whole thing. We're going. We're diving in both pools. So look, from what I understand, Lacusa was in '98 or so, '97 or '98. He was in residence at the Public Theater. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they were like. Like, write us something, you're on in residence, you're on commission, write us something. And he, and um, George C. Wolf is the artistic director there at that so. time. I believe you're right. Like, yep, yeah. great. Um, and they're like, all right, let's do a, um, let's, let's do a wild party for exactly the reasons uh, Peter just described. <laughs> and so that's where that was developed and then taken to Broadway for, uh, by the public theater, which was kind of scandalous from what I understand. Public theater is uh, uh, typically like an off-Broadway development house, especially at that time. So the fact that they were taking a musical without even an off-Broadway production, taking it straight to Broadway and producing it on Broadway was Mm -hmm. very significant. And then at the same time, Lippa, who's been, according to him, writing his musical a bit longer, 
for since like 95 or yeah something around there just just a year before ish yeah premieres his adaptation of the same poem same title off broadway just so we just so for the audience at home so everyone has a very clear idea of the timeline these shows are not only based on the same material they're in new york at the same time yes yeah but i mean the, you know when you're when you're developing a new work it it it, it sometimes can be super hush-hush in the beginning stages, right? Yeah. And because the poem was in the public domain, even though there's this graphic novel, that this re, yeah. uh, re-release of the, the yeah. poem, you know, there's no estate having to go, wait a minute, we've sold the rights to somebody else, which is what would usually happen yeah. in yeah. a situation Oh, we can't like adapt X, it's already attached to that. Right? And so yeah. you have these two theater company so you have the manhattan theater club and you have public theater it's not like what you hear about on tv a lot where you go oh this this tv network is producing this kind of show this doctor type show we're gonna produce something as a competing station yeah this this could actually have happened there the or this this did happen without exactly. knowledge without knowledge yep. a book got popular it just happened to be in the public domain that they did not have to check in with anybody mm-hmm. right they didn't have to check in Remember, like, nobody's yes, talking gonna to each other nobody's yeah. gonna do this <laughs> <laughs> we're on to something big here <laughs> No one else what those meetings were. That's a hundred percent what was going on at the at the table. Yes, yes, <laughs> and like how awful, how awful yeah. to find out you're, you're already a few years in. You are you are workshops in. You are readings yeah. in. Yes. You are developments. Right. You have musicals put are in hard to write, money. Man. Yeah, you've put in money, and these are two companies that are these aren't commercial theaters, right? These yeah. are. Uh, these are off-Broadway theaters. Uh, they have a subscriber base. They, mm-hmm. you know, they, to my understanding, like, they, they're using this money already. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And what? Three years later, you're going to hear about another production and go, ah, you know what? I'm going to stop mine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think shut so. Shut it down. Cancel it. <laughs> no. I don't think so. Right? It just, it's just so unfortunate because no matter what, that the other company, the other show take is distracting from mm-hmm. your show. No matter yep. how you swing it, it just goes oh, and it's not even it's not even as if the the titles are different. They're both yeah. wild party that happening blocks away from each other. Yeah. So how many? Okay, but actually, how many times do you think someone went to the wrong theater, like with their tickets for the other venue? Uh, like you know what I mean? Where it's like oh, those poor those poor <laughs> ushers are just have headaches have every day with, with front of house. Managers for a theater company that have two different spots in Toronto for completely different shows. And it happens (laughs) all the time. So this must have happened like 70% of the time. Madness. (laughs) Well, it's this weird thing where it becomes, oh, may the the best wild party win. And then neither of them win. Yes. Really. Everybody loses. Like a little bit as far as now they're they're both regarded in whatever context they're regarded in. But at the time, they were both pretty huge flops. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other... What other productions that, that may have happened at the same time of using the same intellectual property? Right? Mm. So, so here's yeah, what yeah, I found. Like what? There, yeah. was, uh, there was money being raised for a yeah. production of Phantom. Just before Maury Yestin's Phantom, Phantom. they were getting producers, and then the the Andrew Lloyd Webber one got word broke about that, and all the producers pulled out of Maury Yestin's. Oh, uh, yeah, 
Another one that I found was, or it's not even the same. It's not even the same context. It's it's Peter Pan. There was a production of Peter Pan and Finding Neverland at the oh, same time. Oh, yes. Sure, yeah. On Broadway. Totally. Yes, that's right. Uh, which is definitely still split in the audience. Still split mm-hmm. in the audience. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can imagine. I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. And this is not splitting the audience whatsoever, but I just wanted to bring it up in this podcast. <laughs> there are going to be three musicals on Broadway using Britney Spears songs. That's right. Okay, so we that's have Once Upon a One More Time. And Juliet and Moulin Rouge. Oh, of course. All have Britney oh, wow. Spears songs in it. Yeah, Britney's wow. having a good year. Look at Look that. that. Thriving. That's wild. Bring Britney back to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's... uh. Let's synopsize the plot real quick. So we're going to try to just do a quick rundown of the plot in five minutes or less. Just give a rough bare bones so our um, our listeners kind of know what we're talking about. That's really tough for this one. So what I'm going to yes. do is I'm going to give like a two-sentence elevator pitch for Wild Party that covers both Lakusa and uh, Lippa's Wild Party. Mm-hmm. And then I'll take like a rough pass through the five minutes. Y'all can help wherever you can. And then we'll have... <laughs> Wild party. I feel like it's. I feel like it's both hard and also the two sentence will suffice. Yeah, exactly. For it. <laughs> All right, so exactly right. Put some put some time on the clock, and I've I've given some thought to this, so I think I can do this. Ooh, okay, great. All right, I'm also I'm gonna add six minutes on the great. clock to account for any mm-hmm. lag, just because I am kind. <laughs> All right, three, two, one, go. So, um, attend the tale of Queenie Todd. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I just got up with that one this morning. Yes. Just kidding. That's amazing. Kay. So Queenie is a blonde. Her age stood still. Um, Queenie's our main character. <laughs> she is a vaudeville performer who is seeing another vaudeville performer named Burrs. They decide to throw a big party. Um, among all the guests at that party is a man named Black. A love triangle forms. That love triangle culminates at the end of the party with Burrs killing Black. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> Um. So that, and that's a synopsis that covers both versions. Yes. Yes, that's right. From there, let's talk about the Lacusa version, which is the version that we studied more and that we're going to be actually getting into today. The Lacusa version takes some more kind of vaudeville act kind of structure. Totally. By all accounts, like, there are several characters. There's not a lot of story in the poem. Yeah. Yes. And there are several no. characters that are introduced. And Lacusa kind of yeah. dives into that aspect yeah. of it mm-hmm. it's not as linear and so yes the story of queenie and burrs are they they top and tail the production but then there are there are swift kind of uh focused on other yes on other characters in the show mm-hmm. uh dolores being one of them uh who's who's played by eartha kit oh. in this oh. so uh, good. dolores in this one uh you know has a larger part than I think even the poem yeah. or Lippa's version mm-hmm. has and kind of represents an aging vaudeville performer. Yes. A quick rundown of some of the other guests that we meet in Lacusa's version. We've got um, Nadine, who's um, uh, a minor who wants to, um, who like kind of admires Queenie and wants to be, wants to be similar to Queenie. We've got uh, Madeline, a professional um, stripper, professional lesbian, who... Um, and her girlfriend sorry. Sally, who's on the drugs. Professional <laughs> right? like, like that's her job. If you're good at something, never do it for free. <laughs> never do it for free. I was gonna say. Professional stripper, hobby lesbian. Yeah. I guess. Then who else do we got? We have a boxer. We got a boxer. Yes. We have a boxer. Um, and the boxer's name is is it Eddie? 
I think you're, oh, gosh, yeah, Eddie nice. yes. and his wife May, I and think. And his wife May. And his yeah. wife May, yeah. We've got the Darmano brothers who were ah, yes. kind of a weird, are they their business partners? Are they brothers as well? But they're also lovers. So is there, mm-hmm. um, so there's like, are they ancestral? ancestral? Um, we've got a couple of producers, um, wannabe producers, Golden Goldberg. Oh, yeah. That. And finally, we have... Queenie's best friend Kate. Yes. Um, and her and she brings to the party, she brings her new boyfriend, Black. And so throughout kind of the party, the party kind of escalates. People are drinking, drinking bathtub gin, doing a bunch of coke. Um, everyone's fighting. Burrs isn't getting along with anyone. He's saying and doing all sorts of reprehensible stuff, some of which we'll get into. Yeah. You know, the why they're having a party. Yeah. If I'm I'm hoping yeah. that this is from the poem, is that uh, you know what drew what drew Queenie and Burr together was this kind of violence yes. uh, towards each other, exactly. right? And I mean, it's really it's really troubling to talk about it right now because it it's even in the poem totally. you're like, ah, why is this happening? Absolutely. How is this? Uh, like, they're so horrible. Burrs is so, so horrible, horrible. Yeah. but then it, it grows too much. It grows far too much, and like out of an, a disagreement and out of another fight. Yeah. Uh, the idea for a party comes through, yeah. and great, yeah, totally. That's what they invite uh, people over, and then that violence or that aching and longing is represented in all these other yeah. characters. Yes, well said, right? And then yeah. you know they're, they're expressing themselves through this party, through this debauchery, through yeah. violence towards each other, both physically yeah. and mentally, emotionally, and then you kind of see the morning after, yeah. mm-hmm. like what, 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 what has. How everybody has been affected and kind of when when the mask is kind of rubbed off everybody yes. and you kind of like exactly. the lights are turned on at the end of the at the end of the night of the club or something. The lights and are the turned floor on. Floor is like, sticky. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Right, and then and then tragedy. And I'm not going to spoil anything. Because <laughs> at the tragedy. end of the party, at the end of the party, no one goes home. It's not like it is like at the end of a club when the lights come on. Yeah, but no one goes home. They just keep on being reprehensible. A few. Oh, we forgot to mention. We have um, Jackie, who's a uh, pansexual, bisexual, right, um, yes. referred to as ambi mm-hmm. ambisextress in the um, in the play. Who um, is your time, my dude? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, um, we did so well. All sorts of bad stuff after the party. Black and Queenie have been um, have been romantically involved, and Burr's really jealous. So at the very end of the play, I won't say what happens because it's a spoiler. Yeah, we don't know what happens at the end. <laughs> I stopped reading so, my research <laughs> at the end. <laughs> So that I don't spoil it for myself either. <laughs> uh, good work. Because that, that's roughly it. It really doesn't move in a extremely narrative way. So thank you guys mm. for helping me uh, helping me through that. That's kind of the rough shape of the wild party. Yeah. Yeah. If we wanted to license it, Jill, if we wanted to, yeah. if the three of us wanted to put on a production of the wild party tomorrow and we went to the licensing website, what would they say? So there is a synopsis on broadwaymusicalhome.com. Um, which actually isn't far from the first synopsis you gave, Paul. The only difference is there is no spoiler. Right. So yeah. here we go. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want to know what happens at the end. Anybody could no. die or nobody could die. Yeah. When I'm licensing this show for my high school, I want to be surprised. Oh, okay. Can you here imagine? We go. The wild party high school version. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's happened. Everyone's drinking orange juice. Wild party junior. I was going to say it's only act one because that's the joke. But I think, doesn't this just run? Yeah. Like, just wild party junior. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Okay, so gosh. the synopsis. <laughs> The 
synopsis from BroadwayMusicalHome.com reads, Queenie and Burrs, a vaudevillian couple who are constantly quarreling, throw a party to end all parties, struggling to make the other jealous. So this is like the dynamic you were talking about, Peter. Mm-hmm. In the process, Queenie falls in love with Black, and things come to a head at the end of the night, forcing Queenie to move out. <laughs> mm. That does sound like a junior version. Of yeah. Move out. <laughs> right? That is a very sanitized version of the story. It's not wrong, but it's very understated for what actually happens. I just feel like if you're selling this show and you you heard that, somebody who if you said who are you sanitizing it for? If you're gonna produce this show, you want it to be like gritty and and hard, you know? Like why (laughs) this makes it sound so quaint. Oh, there's some jealousy and they threw a party. And then Queenie got grumpy, so she had to move out. (laughs) (laughs) Queenie has to move out. (laughs) I am so eager to talk about what this friggin' show actually is, so let's talk about the book, the music, and the lyrics. Woo! Okay. Music by Michael John Lacusa, who uh, Paul touched on, wrote See What I Want to See, Little Fish, and Bernarda Alba, which I think is probably his most produced piece. Yeah. I would guess. Because I've seen. Uh, lyrics also by Michael John Lacusa, book by Michael John Lacusa and George C. Wolfe. So we all know George mm. C. Wolfe is an amazing director and book writer. Um, Jelly's Last Jam, Carolina Change, Shuffle Along, which we haven't talked about yet, but we probably will. Probably will. Because yeah, I think probably. it was a hundred performance ex- performances exactly. Right. Um, oh, meets the criteria. It does. Yeah, it And then directed does. Angels in America, right? 94? Ooh, that's cool. I didn't know yeah, that. 93? Ninety-three. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then based on the poem by Joseph Moncure March, and then the music was orchestrated by Bruce Coughlin. So where do we want to start? Okay, George C. Wolfe. George C. Wolfe. Let's do it. Yes. Yep. George C. Wolfe. Okay. So what happens in this adaptation? I find is like, the, yes, there is in the poem these small hints at race. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and what is, what is seen through the lens of ni- the 1920s, right? There there are small little touches of that, but I think this really brings it to the forefront. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And primarily not primarily, but in a big way the f- when you are introduced to Burr, mm-hmm. uh he he's uh, doing a, a minstrel blackface yep. number. Yes. His- Jarring. Yep, his vaudeville show is a minstrel blackface number. And it's the first, like you said, it's that first introduction and like he busts through. Yeah. Uh Which, I mean, for an audience, I just go like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Holy smokes. And and he's going, like, it's a minstrel number. It's not, it's... It is not hinting at it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not hinting at it. Yeah. No, it, the number is a minstrel number. Yeah. Okay. I can only imagine that... Um, they can do that with the historical context and with the sensitivity around that kind of performance yeah. aesthetic because of George Seawolf. Mm-hmm. Because George Seawolf is part of one of the book writers. Yes. I don't think, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, audience, <laughs> Michael John Lacusa is out there being like, ah, you know what? I want to write a minstrel number. No. <laughs> and I'll be really sensitive about it. Like yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's maybe, not maybe you would, but I think it, it's good that there's a there's a collaboration. Yes. Yeah. There's there. a almost if you're approaching this subject material, it's either do you not touch it at all, or do you try to yeah. really get into it and like explore right. some stuff about it? It's not in the poem, right? Yes. Uh, Burrs is a clown, right? Burrs is a clown in the poem, yeah. And it can be. Uh, I, I was watching an interview with Art Spiegelman saying that oh. 
you know, now looking back at the poem after the Lacusa one came out, it's so clear that this is kind of what it it can and should right. be. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a black it's a blackface number, but in the poem, it is he is a, a vaudeville clown, mm. and that's his act. It's not, and, and it's also that's not in the Lipper production for that reason. The Lipper production right. doesn't feature. Yeah, and it's not in the Lipper yeah. production. The Lipper production, he is he is, you know, for lack of a better term, a, a whiteface clown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Exactly. Like it, 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 it's 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 whiteface. So it kind of speaks to, and in that same interview with Art, it it speaks to how these productions want to take what this poem did at the time mm. and do the same thing for uh, the the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. Yeah. Yes. So how do you push those themes for? How do you take that next step? Well, okay, we're gonna bring race. To the sure. forefront, we're going to bring mm-hmm. um, a domestic violence to yep. the yeah. forefront of of this production. Mm-hmm. We are going to bring push. I mean, sexuality is a big part of the poem, but yes. we're going to we're going to put that and we're going to give space and time for it in the Lacusa production yeah. Yeah. of this. And because really, I think there's also it's also Eddie the boxer yep. who who talks about being in a mixed race. Yep. Yes, that's right. Totally. As well, I think that's what. Was happening? You're going. Oh, so this is why was this banned in Boston? Like, why? Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> what What is making this thing so controversial for its time? And maybe that wouldn't make it so. I uh, wouldn't speak to the extent that it would in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But here's what we can. Here are the themes in it that we can kind of turn yeah. up that make that can hit an audience in the same way the poem met an audience in. Uh, 1920s. I yeah. think that. Yeah, yeah. That is what they're trying to do. They're going like, how? I want the audience to kind of feel a little taken aback by that. And yeah, you're you going to see Manny Patinkin yep. come up the first time you see yeah. him on stage yeah. in but. blackface. I think you're going to have a response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a response because that's before you even, you don't preface it. No. Yes, that's You don't right. preface it. You just see him. And then after you're like, okay. What happened? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then he's. You and know, you can then you're hear. Going, you can hear the audience having exactly those thoughts. Yeah. Because any of those moments, and not to spoil anything, but toward the end of the play, when they, when Mandy Patinkin starts to apply the makeup again, you sort of go. You he, you can hear or almost feel the change in energy with the audience mm-hmm. watching. It's it's really remarkable that they've been able to structure it that way. Yeah. That's what I have to say about the book. Do you think it's, <laughs> is it successful in these things it's trying to do? I think that's a really astute, um, a really astute right. analysis, Peter. Do we think it's successful? I don't, you know, I, I didn't see it. Yep. Nope. That, I, this is I very didn't true. see it. And yep. that's, that's hard. I think it's so hard to, the cost of that blackface is like big, right? It's mm. big. Absolutely. Yeah. And do, what, what point does it, Make I guess it's not like you're yeah. you're it's not yeah. like you're four birds right like it's not you're no, like, oh and at and no point the in the show parties, is he the good guy yeah exactly yeah. and and of, of both wild parties I think you sympathize more with birds in lippas like oh, because the story is so focused right. on that relationship there there's a bit of time put on making you yeah sympathize with them or or yeah. or, or fight for some sort of relationship there even though they're still horrible people there yeah. in this one because yeah. of the fragmented storytelling because of the focus i think being more on what it's saying about the time and putting these themes forward there's less time put towards that relationship and feeling sympathy so i think mm-hmm. in that way great great because you're also the audience is supposed to feel 
uncomfortable at that moment. I think that it it, it most likely succeeded in that. Toronto production, if I'm allowed yes. to talk about it. Yes, please, please do. Now. Please do. Yeah. We have a black performer yep. playing Burrs, mm-hmm. and we have a black queenie. And mm-hmm. I think that is very, very successful. Originally, yeah. Yeah. it's Vanessa Williams, right? As You're right. Queenie. That's it's exactly Vanessa right. Vanessa Williams yep. is queenie. And uh, there's a quote that says, like, uh, you know, it, it's not to say that one production would be better, but it's interesting to explore that. And then... So in the Toronto yes. production, what you're seeing yep. on stage, at least my take from it, is you go, okay, yep. you've got Queenie, who the entire show is putting on this this type of mask, this this kind of white, right. this blonde hair. What does that mean? Seeing that on a black body, yes. and then you yeah. see you see Burrs doing blackface as a black man, which is a practice yeah. that yeah. existed. There's, so I, what I, I you're seeing well. yep. those two side by side, and you're like. Oh, oh, I think that's, yes. and maybe it's because, you know, time has elapsed since this, this production, but for a 2015 yeah. production, that is the next step. You have to kind of uh-huh. see it in Absolutely. that context. And that is how you kind of bring it uh, to the forefront. So was it successful yes. in the 2000s? Uh, I don't know, but it's very successful when you see two black bodies up there putting masks on themselves in different ways. And re- when when that masking and that performance of oneself is so integral to the theme. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly right. It's we what have it a is. performance version yeah. of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a performance version of ourselves when we're at a party, when we're at and this is like that that is a big oh. part of this. The the poem, the and and the musicals. It's what you perform in front of other people. And I think driving that forward with two black bodies on stage yeah. is neat. I go that is there is there is more to mine. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. We mentioned that the this production doesn't doesn't give Burrs quite as much to do as the um, Andrew Lippa version because it focuses a lot on the um, the extended cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Real quick, what do we think of the? Because we have we have these other stories moving throughout this as well that are supporting kind of that central that central thesis yeah. um, of the um, the masks that we put on and kind of various uglinesses in human nature that kind of come out over the course of this party. It's like it's all about oh these ugly sides that emerge in people. I had a thought about this because I think it was the reason I was having so much trouble fully connecting to the piece as a whole was that I was struggling to connect with people when I was only seeing like such quick snapshots. And maybe I just wasn't like that focused. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But something was happening where I was like, who is that again? Like I was struggling in some moments to kind of remember who everyone was, what their relationship was to one another. And then... Yeah, so I don't know. Like, occasionally I felt really connected, like, maybe because I love Norm Lewis. So I was like, oh, oh I yeah. love your performance as mm, Eddie. So I'm, like, yeah. already with you and I know who you are and I'm connected to that. But there were other characters that I just didn't feel that with. And I don't know if uh, if that's the book or the structure of the play or what. But that was just my initial take on that. I'll make an, I'll make an offer that will uh, take us into music um, because it lines up with a, a point that I wanted to make. So music and lyrics... I like uh, Michael John Lacusa as a composer. He's a complex composer. His music is not easily accessible. It takes some thinking. It takes some brain power. I like all that. His music is often so cerebral that yeah. I have a hard time finding any kind of human connection in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so like, and it's once again I relate to it because I, I also like I like to look at thing look at music in this way. It's all kind of it feels beautifully pieced together, a wonderful pastiche of that time period of yeah. the music of that time period, but. 
none of it ever seems to speak to the heart of the characters mm. the way that a really good musical does. And I would argue that even Lippa's version does that better. Right. Um, as far as actually representing the inner workings of these characters. So I wonder if, I get the, and, it's, and it's a piece that has so much music in it, has a ton of music in it. Mm. I wonder if part of it is the music, the music not, um, not allowing those characters to, um, to be represented to their, to an extent that we really connect with. You know, yeah. I think there's there's something to be said about you. Know, uh, if we're going to compare Lippa and Lacuzzo again, Please. it's like at least at least when reading the reviews and yeah. listening to the music, it seems like there is there is much more. Uh, we want to challenge the audience. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Lacuzzo. Yep. Oh yeah. Right. So so that is going to be reflected then in the music. Right. Yes. I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look at something that people were comparing to, this is Lippas now, yep. uh, looking at that people were comparing to Cabaret and Chicago yep. and those revivals yep. and and uh, their need to focus on the on the through line of the of the relationship. That is so that it seems as if it is to make sure the audience has a way in. Right. Yeah. A little bit. Whereas I don't think that was Primary, like mm. primarily, the the top concern with Lacuzos. That is just me speculating, but I just go, oh, for everything that we're talking about, the structure of the book, uh, the the way that it is non-linear, mm-hmm. the way that it focuses on all these other characters to kind of bring these other themes to the forefront, and challenging the audience. I think that that is reflected in in the music, and so yeah, I'm not humming. <laughs> All these <laughs> no. tunes from Lacuses, but I I don't think that, that was I think that's in a way intentional. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not that Lacuse doesn't want us humming their yeah. songs. I just go, you know, that wasn't their primary concern. Right. Whereas Definitely maybe was Lippa was was more. These are some bangers. Oh, and that's <laughs> totally. <laughs> These are some hits. Yeah. Everybody's going to be singing this. <laughs> Everyone's putting this you know? in their audition yeah. book. Everybody. That's what he was thinking when he was writing it. That's kind of yeah. Lippa's move as well, though. Like, throughout yeah. throughout his musicals is... And I say that without shade. I like Andrew Lippa a lot. Yeah. But, like, a, always a couple songs that are like, all right, let's 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 see these in auditions for the next five years. Right. You know? <laughs> oh, I forgot. I forgot. Because I said I was going to... Earlier on, I said I was going to bring up Charlie Brown in this. Okay. Yes, <laughs> do it. Yeah, do yeah, it. yeah. Bring it so, up. There was a little break in the development of Lippa's version. Why? 1999. Because he was going to work on your good man, Charlie Brown. As like the music so supervisor. Boom. He wrote a bunch of the new music yeah. and did all the orchestrations for so um, or all the arranging for the new Charlie Brown revival. That's right. Yes. There was a song. May yep. was originally or was written for Kristen Chenoweth. Oh. That's wild. The, there was like a workshop yeah. reading or something earlier on in the early development of Lippa's Wild Party. And Kristen Chenoweth was May. Wow. And I think was like the music was written for, or the song between May and mm-hmm. Eddie, is it? In mm-hmm. Lippa's version, right. was written for Kristen Chenoweth. Fascinating. Then she <laughs> she goes on to be in Lippa's uh, Charlie Brown. Fun fact. Wow. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. And that would have been Cheno and Adina together again for the first time. Oh. Right? I guess so. That would have been pretty wicked. Right. That was yeah. a stack yeah. cast, I gotta say. I mean, listen, it was a stack cast cool. for Lacusers, too. Wow. But <laughs> yes. Both of them are. It's wild, the cast. Here, we'll talk about that in a second. I had one thought on the music and lyrics, because yeah. I do want to acknowledge yes. the lyrics are actually 
pretty great. Yeah. And maybe I'm just saying that because we're currently researching another show to record <laughs> that has bad lyrics. So oh, yeah. I feel like this. I'm like, oh, this is nice. Like, I I get it. It's poetry. But I will say what it does a really good job of is um, musically the unraveling of the evening. So starting with these nice, really pleasing. Yes. I yes, might yes. even say yeah, yeah. hummable. Like the first song is hummable, right? Queenie was a blonde, mm. right? And so, but that's really the only one that gets stuck in my head. And then everything else, there's this cacophonous sort of sound. The orchestration really lends itself to this brassiness. And then you hear the unraveling of these people throughout the night. So I will say I'm, I'm super uh, on board with that as far as setting the scene and the world. And that gets an A plus for me. I I really love as well. I love the way to to build on that, Jill. I love the way that Lacusa sets text to music Mm -hmm. and the opening song is such a nice example of that just the the way he sets vaudeville Mm -hmm. so you can hear specifically like it's it's a bold choice it's a bold lyrical scan choice and it you just hear it becomes so clear that what we're we're saying the we're pronouncing vaudeville the old way we're pronouncing it we're in the vaudeville Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's such a maybe i'm getting hung up on it but it's such a brilliant way to scan that lyric and it's also it's a lyric that's used by lippa Um, They start the show the same way, the same way the poem starts. And Lippa does like a fine scan of it. Mm. And it's such a nice difference of like, Lippa, very good, good choice, nice song, scans Mm -hmm. well. But Lacusis is like bold. You hear that, you're like, whoa, what a choice. Hell yeah. I think that kind of summarizes what people got out of both productions, though. Even though it, could could we distill it to just vaudeville versus vaudeville? Maybe. Like, yeah, right? <laughs> but I mean, to say, like, okay, this yeah. is, this, here's here's a bold choice. Here's a bold choice in in the mm-hmm. adaptation of this. Mm-hmm. I think I think it, it it that summarizes what reviews said. Not necessarily my opinion. I don't yes. know. Maybe I'll, I'll mm-hmm. keep that mysterious. <laughs> but that is what the reviewer said anyway. Though we, we should also point out, in, in this other term of, like, masks and people you know, presenting different versions of themselves. The the poem is also also for it being, you know, uh racist too and and mm-hmm. like it it's a very challenging poem that way. Yeah. There's anti Semitism mm-hmm. in it oh, that's right. as yeah. well mm-hmm. that is touched upon in I can't remember I, I'm sure it is in Lippas, but also in Lacusers. Yeah. Yes. You know, Golden Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Golden Goldberg, one changing their names to be less Jewish. Yep. Right. And again, it's this it's this idea of having to hide behind something. So, I'll, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We, I thought that was worth bringing up. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. These are the themes that are happening. This is what they need to bring to the forefront, or at least what it seemed like they were like, oh, we want to put this at the forefront of our production for the publics for the Broadway Lacusa version. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So let's talk about how that kind of that foundation that we've established for Lacusa's Wild Party is executed by the direction, the choreo, the design, and the performances. Ooh. Should we give a rating to the book, music, and lyrics before oh, we sure. do our direction? There's a rating? Oh, we use a very, a rating? very scientific a system. system. And then it's actually, it's distributed all over Canada so that every artistic director can know exactly what you think of <laughs> What these right, two artistic directors are really, really care. Feel. They really care about what's <laughs> what's there. They're like, you know what? I want to know yeah. these people's opinion yeah. on the wild party. They really have <laughs> a, a show that I will on the never program. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, out of ten playbills, how many monkeys would we give the book, music, and lyrics of um, Lacusa and George Wolf's The Wild Party? 
So, Paul, why don't you go first? Yeah. Because I do think you're right. We should we should do one rating because it was collaborative. Makes sense to me. Yep. In terms of those uh, mainly Lacusa and, and Wolf. I think I would give it a 7 out of 10. I think that while there is some stuff I'm really not on the same page on with as the show, there's no, especially after having this conversation, there's no question that this show was created with forethought and with intention by some artists who had the tools in their toolbox to do that. So yeah, while a lot of it's not necessarily my cup of tea, it's a 7 out of 10 for me. How about you guys? That's that's what I was going to say, a 7. How about you, Peter? Oh, no. Okay, okay. <laughs> wait, wait a yeah. minute. Okay, I'm going to try to separate myself yep. from right. the the bootleg that we didn't watch because that's not nope. right, right? Nope. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm going to try, like, I'm, I'm going to say 8. Great. Okay. okay. Because I really, I, and maybe it's because, like, expectation versus... Uh, execution mm-hmm. like I went into Lacusa's wild party in Toronto going like I don't know I like lippas yeah and then I think it I, I watched it and I went oh this is awesome why didn't I know about this yeah, yeah. again I'm not humming any of the tunes and I'm yeah. gonna listen to lippas right after this yeah um, exactly <laughs> and probably won't turn on Lacusa's for a while after this if at all yeah. yes yeah. so I'm gonna say eight also because you know what if Lacusa's listening right now and I would like to work with it. So. Fair enough. I would not. I'm going to give no, you an kidding. eight when everybody else gave you a seven, Lacusa. <laughs> and George C. Wolf. George C. Wolf. Yep. I love me some that's George that's C. Wolf. I love you forever, George C. Wolf. So please. <laughs> yeah. We will have a chance to further discuss George C. Wolf's wonderful contributions right now when we talk about direction and choreo. Directed by George C. Wolf. Musical direction by Todd Ellison and choreography by Joey McNeely. And then, of course, like I always say, a million and one wonderful assistants and associates. So please visit mm-hmm. IBDB.com to look at all of their names. I mean, I like his work. I don't. Yeah. Yes. I, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to talk about contribution to book, yep. I mm-hmm. find. And like what what the book did, especially since I've seen a production of it. Right. Outside of the Broadway production. Right. So, can I ask what your take on the direction was in the Toronto production that you saw, and if you remember who who actually directed that one? I think it was Robert McQueen. Yep. Okay. So, if I remember correctly, I just remember feeling, and it's an intimate space. I'm mm-hmm. working there right now, mm. uh, the Berkeley stage yeah. uh, at uh, Canadian Stage. So, it's a very intimate space, and so it does feel like you are in the party, right? Right, like you, you, you are there, and I just remember feeling kind of that as the rush of each kind of scene swept by a yeah. little bit. You are, you, you're kind of in this whirlwind of of the party. So that's what I remember. Yes. Okay. So that when there were these kind of breakout moments where where people were alone, because I remember there's Black and Queenie have like a duet yep. that was yes. really moving because all of a sudden it's on this this raised platform. They have a there's a staircase. In the theater. Yeah. And they're up on this balcony. And you're like, oh, because we've been in on it, we've been in this kind of swirl of a party, these moments where you're separate from the party really stand out and really can affect an audience. So that's what I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing I noticed, and it took me a while to notice that it was happening, but no one actually really looked at each other through the whole play. Okay. They were almost never looking right at each other. There was like uh, maybe a handful of moments of 
eye contact between actors. And I thought as a choice that that would make me uncomfortable, like in the right way where it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're really not, they don't care about connecting with one another. And I think that was like a conscious decision from a direction perspective. And I actually think I liked it in hindsight, like now having had time to, to think about it because then when they look at each other, it's so meaningful. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that. And I thought that was really cool. It is presented as a series like, it, it's presented as vaudeville sketches, right? Like, there yeah. are yes. title cards. There are, you know, this is this is a performance for you, mm-hmm. this this story. I almost yeah. wonder if, because they are they do the title cards on, um, on Broadway, but, like, not a ton. Mm-hmm. I wonder if leaning into that a little more might have just provided a bit more structure to latch onto in this really confusing mm. story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just lean into it a bit more into the the sketch conceptual idea abandon any need for like a really straightforward for any kind of linear narrative um and maybe that might have helped make the story just a little more comprehensible i guess right you know right in in in, in terms of broadway do you think martha from ohio is sitting there for the first 20 minutes trying to figure out what the like order of events is because that happens sometimes right when you're sitting in a play and you're like wait what's the story like do you know what I mean? Oh, it takes you a yeah. minute to like... <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine Mark no. from Ohio enjoying this show, frankly. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> we have audiences that come to shows. There are always such a wide variety. You can have yes. the most linear piece of theater happening and somebody's not yeah. going to understand it. We just can't help it. That's so true. yeah, people are going to look at this and go, I don't know. <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't we already see this person? Didn't this person uh, die yeah. or not die? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yes. Who knows? Or like, what's, what's happening now? So, yeah. I feel yeah. like that, that's going to happen yeah. for sure. I have trouble assessing as well because there's so much music mm-hmm. in this. I'm like, there's how much can I attribute to evaluating staging and how much of it slipped into the land of choreo? Um, yes. There's a lot of choreo in this show. There is. I'll go first. I like the choreo. I knew you would. I like 1920s jazz style. I like, I yeah. think it's fun. I think it's energetic. Yeah. Yeah, I dig but it. But it mm-hmm. feels like Jill has something else to say. Yeah, maybe Jill, maybe <laughs> you. Because <laughs> it wasn't no, like, actually... it was like, oh, I like the, oh, yeah, you would like I knew it, you would you? Would yeah. like that. you, you would like the choreo. Now, coming from a choreographer, let me tell exactly, you something. Exactly. <laughs> no, I actually... I thought it was really useful. It wasn't overdone. I thought, and again, similar to the way the music unraveled, I think the choreo did too. And I think that's really smart. Um, and I always appreciate a choreographer who's attuned to the story and to like what's happening in the world. And of course, like it's impossible to not contemporize the movement because we just weren't there. So yeah, of course we have history of movement that we can pull from, but ultimately you do have to acknowledge like, oh, there will be like some contemporary flair to this movement. That's just like the nature of choreographing a 20s show in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. But I think it was really well done. No, I actually enjoyed it. (laughs) I know it sounded like I had things to say. Lies. No, but I really did like it. (laughs) Just want to get into a fight. Do it. This is the time. I love fighting, but no. This is the time. What disagree. A, what about you? What about you, Peter? Do you I like liked the choreo? It. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Oh, come on now. <laughs> I was into it. I, I <laughs> Maybe because yeah. I'm just kind of into that style a little bit. Yes. Like me too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's something yeah. 
yeah, there's something about it. Ah, oh, this, th- I want to do it too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's my hot take. Let's do some ratings. If no one has anything else. Then. 10 monkeys out of 10 playbills. Yeah, there, there we go. I was going to say, let's do them. Let's do them together. Peter says 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. I'd say, yeah, once again, it's hard to, it's hard to assess. It's but hard. Oh my God. Eight, eight, of a, eight out of 10, nine out of a 10 based on the information I've got. I feel closer to the nine or nine and a half. Yeah. Let's do a few sentences on the design. Design's also very hard to evaluate in this context. Oh my gosh. The, because the lighting. The yeah. lighting. In it, like, I just can't see anything. It's because yeah, it's a absolutely. VHS tape and someone's like holding this camera and like zooming in and out. Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> let me list out our design credits. and then, Yes, please. Uh, and then we can talk about it briefly. Scenic design by Robin Wagner. Costume design by Tony Leslie James. Lighting design by Jules Fisher and Peggy Eisenhower. Moving light programmer was Richard Tyndall. Sound design by Tony Mayola. And hair design by Jeffrey Frank. Those are our core design team. And then, as mentioned, associates, assistants galore. Please check them out. The easiest thing for me to evaluate or give an opinion on are the costumes, because we can look at production stills and get a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Costumes fucking rule. Really I cool. liked them a lot. I think they look great. Yeah. Mm. Love a... Eh, really? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just wanted to be contrarian. I just want to be contrarian, you know? We got to sell tickets to this podcast. We got to have arguments. True, we you know? do. It does need to be more dramatic. You're right. Ben Brantley of the New York Times did not like the costumes. And I agree with everything he says. <laughs> he kept referring to uh, Lippa's Wild Party as Wild Party 1, and this one is Wild Party 2. Oh, that's so shady. Oh, that's that so is funny. so Isn't that shady? shady, and I'm here for <laughs> it. Yeah, so that's 1 and 2. awful. So yeah, he really didn't like the costumes, which I thought was interesting, because that was the first thing I noticed as being like, oh, I love the textures and the colors, 100%. like they were very rich, and yeah. Anyway. Why didn't he like them? I think he thought they were oversimplified in the sense that, like, it was just all underwear. Because at a certain point, like, they're all mostly in underwear. It's about an orgy. Absolutely. Because it's an orgy. Yeah. 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 So he was like... Did he want them to wear clothes at an orgy? (laughs) We should ask. Let's go. Let's call them. Let's call them. 23 years ago, you wrote a review, and I just want you to tell us what you Go on record. At your orgies, everybody's dressed. Okay, great. I just want I just wanted that out in the open. Note to self: never go to an orgy with Ben Brantley. Yes, it would be boring. Okay, so yes, we agree that we like the costumes. No, I wanted there to be more clothes on people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my opinion. Especially Based on after nothing the else. Orgy. Yeah, yeah, especially during that. I just want everybody to wear all the clothes and coats. Yes. Coats. My name Only is Brent Bradley. <laughs> 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 Zero monkeys out of ten playbills. <laughs> I'm going to start calling him Brent Bradley from now on. Brent Bradley. Brent Bradley. <laughs> oh, God. Um, um, okay, so the lighting, we couldn't really get a, a very good idea of because, of course, yeah. it was captured by the camcorder. But I will say I felt like there was some starkness to the lighting later in the play that went in that coincided with what Peter's been talking about, which is the mask kind of coming off. So I think there was at least some conscious design in that regard. So I like that. That's good. I agree with the Tony committee in that it got nominated. (laughs) Yeah. So there you go. 
<laughs> I'm going to take just the least path, yep. the passive least that resistance on this one. Okay, Tony Committee yep. said it was good. Sounds I can't judge good. it on this video. It's very hard. <laughs> Six out of ten. <laughs> yeah, like a little, a little bit. I'm, I'm not even sure if I, if there's any, um, any reason to do a, to do a rating on this one other than to I acknowledge know. it and say good work. But I would, I'm not sure I have enough information to be able to give any kind of opinion on it other than great work, craftspeople in, um, in Broadway. I'm sure you worked your asses off. <laughs> yes. Um, they probably look great, frankly. I'd like to propose let's move on to talking about the performances because there's a few things to say. Okay, okay. performances. Manipulation should just exclusively do things in blackface. <laughs> yeah, forever. <laughs> Always. Hot take. Always and forever. Hot take. So, from what I understand, doing some reading, and this is a this is a um an, an industry term um that I'll um, we'll bring the audience into. Apparently, Mandy Patinkin was a real shithead on this production. Oh. Appar- oh, you guys didn't find this? Oh, he no. was awful. So he was all over the place in during runs of the show, in previews or in dress rehearsals or whatever, um, going over the top, adding like hits and physical contact, and at one point oh. spitting on another performer. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not cool. Whoa. Terrible to Tony Collette, by all um, accounts. <sighs> Mandy, no. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but by all accounts. No, I'm just like, how dare you be a dick to international treasure Tony goddamn Collette? I, I will see you in the street, yeah. Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. Were you in Hereditary? No. no. <laughs> were you in Knives Out? No, you were not. Or Sixth Sense. Leave Tony Collette alone. I mean, come on. No, not in Sixth Sense. That's all. Yeah. That's all I got. I just wanted to defend Tony Collette. <laughs> in her Broadway debut, no less. Right after winning or being nominated for an Oscar? Nominated, yes. I think. Nominated yes. for Sixth Sense, right? Yeah. Yep, absolutely, yeah. which is great in. Okay, so having, having said that, let's start with Tony Collette then, because here we are. Tony Collette plays Queenie, um, and she fucking rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Absolutely. Really good. Tony Collette's a sick singer. Who knew? I know. Because she doesn't do this. She, and has she done Broadway since this? Literally this and a, um, like a tiny engagement in the realistic Joneses, uh, which okay. I don't know. I don't know what that is in 2014. But it's a play, I think, right? Yeah. Yes. yes. She's great. And she's never done it again. She's great. And like has star power. Like she could get attached to something right now and be a draw. Like she could oh, yeah. take your pick of whatever revival of a great role you want to do. They'll put you in it, you know? Now that makes me wonder, like, hearing about Mandy Patinkin being the way he was in the room and then that being her first experience, like, not to overdo it on the speculation, but, like, if it's not a positive process, I can't imagine wanting to repeat it. There are there are some accounts that speak to exactly that. That was a nightmare. Mandy Patinkin was a nightmare. Yeah. Maybe Broadway's not for me <sighs> kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's a money thing too, right? Because we all know, like, the film dollar just, <laughs> just goes, goes further, further. Than, <laughs> than Broadway does at any point, frankly. Yeah. So. Yeah, it just goes a little bit know. more. Just a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> now, what you're talking about, Mandy? I, I, I'm I know. just going to go with Mandy. Uh, because, you can. You know, we're on a first name basis. <laughs> ah, that's so upsetting. Yeah. Especially because it's kind of a nice performance. Yeah, because it's it's good. But like, I mean, yeah. Now I hate yeah. it. Yeah, I know oh. it's a tough thing, right? It's, <laughs> we can acknowledge it is a like a tour de force performance. Yeah. He's you, cer- you certainly you certainly He's buy it. Yeah, there's a lot of intensity. There's there's intensity, and I I wonder then if that. I don't know if he's one of those act. He doesn't seem like it in like social media stuff that he's mm-hmm. doing. That he seems like one of those actors who just goes like all in. You know, right? He's not, yeah. 
Jeremy Stronging. Oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah, like he's not doing that, but if if this is what we're hearing about this process and then what is demand what is asked of in the show of this character, I go, "Oh, is yeah. that like did he get all method is that in what this? he was doing in which case because right. a little bit right there's like that. there's no excuse but for... he does he does do good he does do good work yeah <sighs> yeah okay we i need to just say again eartha kit oh, like, eartha kit rules in so, this i want to talk a lot so about she her. came back this is her first show after 20 years not doing anything on broadway and her performance is so level i was like you are the narrator to me mm-hmm. like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was so on board with having her as our sort of audience connection. She was just so, yeah, I'm just such a fan. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm going to put then, uh, this is not how you rank anybody, but I'm going to go Eartha Kitt, (laughs) Tony Collette, (laughs) and then Madame Dagan down here. Nobody can see me, but it's low now. It would have been if you were just nice. Just be cool. Just be a bad guy in the show. Just Just act. These are just cool. Allegations. These are just allegations. These are just allegations. Absolutely. These True. Are allegations. True. Know. I always love a Norm Lewis. Oh. Norm always. Lewis turns it out left and right, and he's awesome in this. Just a star. I love Norm Lewis so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, much. so I'm very biased because he's just my favorite. So I can't, I I can't the remove same, that but for me. I feel the exact. Maybe he, maybe he did a horrible job, but I don't know because I'm just there going, uh, Norm Lewis. <laughs> One of the best voices in Broadway oh, history. Oh, yeah. easily. Just an absurd voice. One of my favorite. Vo- one can, of my favorite voices in Broadway history. He can sing like yep. four phrases uh, in a row without I breathing. It's, and it's incredible. Got this, like velvety, fluid sound oh, yeah. that just goes. <laughs> ten out of ten. Eleven. Eleven oh, monkeys yeah. out yeah. of yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yancy Arias plays uh, plays Black. Mm-hmm. Thought he did a nice job. I thought him and uh, him and Tony Collette had um, like some sizzling, have some sim- sizzling chemistry. Yes. Even when you just hear him singing, it's like. Oh, yeah, this is kind of sexy. I dig this. This is a cool piece for a cast because you have so many characters and you can get everyone, everyone both doing their, like, their character party piece. Mm -hmm. But also, there's some serious shit to get into with all of it. You know what I mean? I think, I can imagine this is a hell of a fun show to be one of the supporting characters Mm -hmm. in. I feel like it gets produced by universities and colleges in the States a lot. I think you're right. That's That's what I think. Yeah, because it's also like, you know, kids want to, those young theater kids, they, they want to get gritty. Yeah, they want to do this cool thing. They want to explore some stuff. Uh, dig, you know, like into hard music. Yeah. Yep. You know, into hard music, into... Tough content. Challenging, yeah. Yeah. Content. And then there's a lot of parts. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> the other person I want to shout out yeah, please, is please, please. Nathan Lee Graham and Michael McElroy. But I wanted yeah. to shout out Nathan Lee Graham because I just love... Everything that they do. They were in Priscilla as well, I think. And Zoolander, of course. Who are they in Zoolander? Like the assistant, Mugatu's assistant, that's always like holding the dog and gets the latte thrown on them. Oh, I'm a huge fan. I dig that. Yeah. Big fan. Absolutely. So, yeah. And they were so charismatic. But wait, we were missing a Kate. Oh, we're going to get to Uh, Tanya Tanya Pinkins. Pinkins. Tanya Pinkins. Absolutely. Caroline or Change fame. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, she's so, she's also so level. Like, her performance is so beautifully yeah. tempered. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Well, maybe, are we just comparing it because, like, Mandy goes so hard? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, is that what but it so is? But so does like, Tony. Like, Tony goes hard, and the 
the other supporting characters also go pretty hard. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. It's not just comparing. Yeah. Like they are giving level performances. Yeah. Because everybody else is just yeah. going like, we're wiling out. <laughs> yeah. You, you almost wonder with uh, Tanya, Tanya Pinkins. I'm glad you brought her up. Cause you wonder if like she does this with George C. Wolf and they're like, Oh shit. Carolina change. You know what I mean? Which is right. A few mm. years after this. Yeah. They're like, like, that's one of their takeaways from whatever this experience was, which was up and down, I have to assume. It's like, oh, shit. But no, but they, just... they had worked on, I thought, I, I think, wait, when was Jelly's last jam? Oh, that's right. And that's before this. It absolutely was is. Was that late 80s? Or... No, it's early yeah, 90s. And like, early 90s? Yeah. That's she, right. She won a Tony. Did she win a Tony? Or... Yeah, that's she did. Right. She won a Tony you're, for Jelly's last yeah, jam. Absolutely right. And that's, absolutely and that's right. when they were together. So it was just like... And then George C. Wolf, who again, George C. Wolf, uh, put me on your radar. Yes. Uh, you know, they build that <laughs> <Yeah>. relationship. <laughs> and it goes, what's her and everything? So, yeah. I can be on your radar too, George. So she's a, she's a known commodity. <laughs> is it possible yeah. the main reason for her not doing Queenie is because they wanted like a name in that track? Well, no, but they, they like originally. It was Vanessa Williams. So I'm saying, right. but I'm saying, so then Vanessa Williams is out. Oh. Yeah. And they've got a really, yeah, a really yeah. skilled Broadway performer in the cast who is like a goddamn star already. But they're like, right. no, we need like a bit of stunt casting to make Wild Party play. Interesting. Very wild, wild speculation. I'm speculation all over the top. But this is what I'm saying, right? That is right? wild yeah. She had just won yeah. a Tony. Well, okay, not just won yeah. a Tony. It's cool to have her in the cast. Oh, and yeah. And she fucking crushes it. Stacked casts. Yo. Stacked casts cast. in both of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Totally. So totally. twelve out of ten is that what we decided? Twelve out of ten. Frankly, like I'd go nine out of ten, taking one off for reprehensible yeah. rumors of reprehensible behavior from Mandy Patinkin, which I'm not a fan of. Right. But like, holy shit, this cast goes, and that's the only way the piece works. Like, I didn't see the Toronto production. I know a bunch, mm-hmm. know a bunch of people in it. Obviously, from what I understand, they all fucking went hard, mm-hmm. and it really played. Yeah. Do you want to play the Tony game? I would love to. Me too. What's the Tony game? So this is the 2000 Tony Award. <laughs> it's a game we made up that is not even a game. No. Because, well, okay, specifically for this Tony year. So welcome to the 54th annual Tony Awards. Okay, great. Uh, June 4th, 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hosted by, and then this In is where 2000. you guess who it would be hosted by. It's the year 2000. Think about who oh, might have hosted. Oh, yeah. this is a great game. Uh, this is wonderful. And it's hosted by, because just odds-wise, I think this is the Billy Crystal. Oh, that was, <laughs> no, good guess, though. Frankly, <laughs> playing the odds. Yeah. Kind of like I'm Billy Crystal. The, I'm just playing the numbers, You're- okay? <laughs> Not something Must I would want to see, but uh, definitely... Uh, an option. Um, 2000? Okay, I'll give you another hint. This person- Hugh Jackman? No. I was going to say what we've found. One of my, my educated guests playing the odds is at this time, the Tony version of Billy Crystal is Angela Lansbury. <laughs> like they were it's just, not Angela. No. But, but like that's the, that's the, she hosts every few years. She's she in. hosted a lot. Like through yeah. the 80s too. She hosted yeah. a lot. So this person had a talk show that featured a lot of, of Broadway performances. Rosie O'Donnell. Bingo. Rosie O'Donnell. Great. Oh. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it really checks yes, out. Of when, course. When yeah. You, yeah, when you figure it out. So, so Rosie O'Donnell's hosting. There were four nominees for Best Musical. Mm-hmm. I knew one other one of them. Oh, no. One of them is this. One of them is this, yeah. This is two. There was only one other that I knew, and honestly, I'll be shocked. Like, I don't even know if I could give you hints about these shows. The only one I could give you a hint about would be the other one that I knew. 
when I think of this time period, I'm more thinking of the musicals that were about to come out to Broadway and then got uh, stalled by 9-11. Right. Like, that's the, this period of history, that's what's interesting to me. But yeah. what was just out? This is two, this is, this is the 2000, this is the 2000s? Yeah, 2000 so the season, season that yeah. it would have accounted for would be from end of April or early May 1999 until April of 2000. So that's the season that it encapsulates. Is the producers too late? It's coming. right around there. Uh, yeah. 2002, I think, or three. Oh. Oh, no, it might yeah. be 2001. But yeah, it's coming. So you're... So not quite... Oh, producers. I'm okay. I'm in the world. I'm okay, in the world of producers. Okay, but you're in okay. the creative team. So so Susan Stroman did producers. Mm-hmm. She had another show around this time, and that is one of the nominees. And I, again, I don't know that anyone will know. Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. Is the other well-known one Footloose? No, that was 2002, I think. Fuck, was it actually? Okay, we are we are just too far yeah, forward. Yeah, I'm too, too far, far forward. I'm just going to list them because yeah, let's do it. You, you will never guess. So the other one was Contact, which is the dance show, the Susan Stroman yeah, yeah. dance yeah, yeah. show. Totally. Oh. So that was that one. The other one was Swing, exclamation okay. mark. Right. And then the, the fourth know. was... James Joyce's The Dead was a musical. Yes, I was. I've done. I've done a ver- a play version of that, like but a workshop version of The Dead. <laughs> I could not tell you a single thing about it. I could not even begin to guess who wrote what it. What a wild year! That's a wild. I can't tell you a single thing about any of these musicals, right? really, except for the fact that Lippa's Wild Party yeah. existed. <laughs> so I know Lakeisha's. <laughs> Did con did contact take best musical? It did. Jesus yeah. Christ, that's had wild. To. It had to have. have over this. Over this. Yep. So three of our actors were nominated. Okay. Do you know who they would have been? Uh, Tony Collette, Maddie mm-hmm. Patinkin, yep. and a third. Yeah. Tanya Pinkins. No. Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt. It's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. So those are our three. Mm-hmm. And Eartha Kitt performs at the Tonys. Yes, yes, that's right. You can tell it's a great, it's an incredible video. It's an incredible performance. They all lost, unfortunately. Oh, do we have to get say to who? I don't even know these musicals. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, who else is in play? So the thing that I fa- find interesting, Mandy Patinkin lost to Brian Stokes Mitchell, of course, because <gasps> we love Brian Stokes Mitchell. Oh, we top love. notch. Great win. Absolutely. Great win. Great win. So Solid wait, wait, wait. Win. Okay, what was he what was he in at that time? He was in a revival. Kiss me, Kate. You got it. Yeah. Good for you. Very much. Yeah. So he was in that and won for it, rightfully so. And then Tony Collette lost to Heather Headley, who was doing a show that surprisingly wasn't nominated for Best Musical. I have no idea. Elton John, Tim Rice. Oh, um, fucking Aida. Aida. Yeah. That's so fascinating. <laughs> that wasn't nominated for Best Musical. That's remarkable. <laughs> we got swing. Like, Aida's not incredible. There's Aida's got problems. It's not, in, but like. Wow. Oh, yeah. But to not even be nominated, like, it's actually quite surprising. Yeah. Um. So that was that. And then Eartha Kitt lost to Karen Ziemba in Contact. Oh, sure. So, yeah. so there we go. It's like, a, it's a year where there's a lot of stuff being set up. Yes. And then some of it, some of it happens and some of it doesn't because 9-11 and everything changes. But mm-hmm. like Susan Stroman is just getting positioned to begin like her era. Yep. Um, the other thing worth noting is that ultimately Wild Party was nominated for seven Tonys. Uh, some design stuff, uh, lighting design, book, score. So Aida takes score, which is good because then we're like, oh, at least you get your due in terms of like totally what was good about the show. It's also wild to give Aida best score over this. 
That's a wild thing to do, in my opinion. And I like Elton John. So does Broadway. Yeah, like, right? Broadway That's loves true. Elton That's John. That's true. Yep. And so... El- you know, what are the Tonys? They're just a collection I know. of people. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't... Yeah, you it know, who, who, who knows what they're thinking, you know? So, yeah, seven seven uh, total Tony noms and no wins. I was just going to say, you were going to say, you were going to say seven, seven total no, Tony noms. I was like, that ain't nothing. And then you go, no wins. Well, I guess <laughs> it is. I guess it is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> because I think they posted closing like that week, right? Because they closed June, what, 13th? 11th. So it was a week after the... The Tony Awards that they closed, which is actually kind of depressing when you when you name it. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to put up a show. It's, it's hard, hard to, hard to like, run a show. It's a yeah. lot. It's a lot of money to put that up, and it's very. It takes a very long time to recoup. Oh, yeah. yeah, especially now. Yeah, absolutely. So, Oof. yeah, I get it. <laughs> Final thoughts on um on the wild party, y'all. Here we are at the uh, the end of the road. Oh my goodness! Right. There you go. That's how you do an episode of Monkeys and Playbills, Peter. Whoa! Yeah, just, we're at the end of and it goes just goes to the end. I think it's cool. I yeah. think it's super cool that this happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I am right now in the thick of a year of new Canadian work that is both musical mm-hmm. and non-musical, and I always, I just, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I just think, oh, whoa! What a what a story that two companies decided to to use the same source material, yeah. and it just makes me go, what. What what would this be? I know that we're we're specifically looking at Lacusa, but I go, what would this be in the hands of somebody over here? Like, if we had found that poem, like, what would that kind of look yes. like? So I just think it's exciting that like it must have been really exciting at the time to just go, how are they going to do yeah. this? How? Because at, at the end of the day, around the same tire, time period, it's like three adaptations that had come out. It was the graphic novel, mm-hmm. w- which introduced everybody, yeah. uh, reintroduced everybody to it. And then these two productions happening. I think it would have been yeah. really exciting. I just love the idea that not only is it like, oh, I'm excited about this new work, is that we actually get to see two very different interpretations mm-hmm. of the same story, which we never get to see, especially since... With these long-running Broadway shows, you don't even get to see a reinterpretation of a show, right? Like, have we seen a different version of Phantom? <laughs> no. We're you know about what I mean? to, What would though? that look like? Maybe. We're, yeah, we're about, we're to. about yeah. to. I bring that up because it's a, we're, we're about to. But I go, that's exciting. That's exciting that we get to actually see, at the same time, yeah. two different interpretations across the street. I absolutely mm-hmm. agree. Okay, they're not exactly across, yeah. across the street. But that's... Yeah, I mean, I'm in a new work kind of mode I love that. right now. Yeah. I'm like, that's cool. I'm right there with you, Peter. And the only thing I would add is not just two new adaptations of the same work, but of a cool work. Like this yes. isn't, yeah. we're not adapting Back to the Future. No shade, love Back to the Future. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> yeah. we're talking a 1920s epic poem. Two composers who were exciting at the start of their career. I think it must have been a, such an exciting time. I, I would, I would think. Two, I would two think, of the you know? potential successors to Jason Robert Brown and the new, the contemporary thing is just starting to happen. Two people who seem like they're going to be major voices in it and who both go on to be major voices, but even mm-hmm. more so yeah. somehow. You know, it would have been a very exciting time to be in New York. I think, yeah. We have two more things we need to ask before we go. the f- The first thing is: should this be a musical? Yeah. Totally. Without if cats question. can be a musical. Right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> anything, could be, anything could be a musical. Yeah. Why not? Sure. <laughs> Our next episode is going to be us unpacking the fact that Cats and Wild Party, this specific version of Wild Party, are not dissimilar from one another. I was just going to say Because there this. is no linear 
story, its pastiche, and we're going to unpack that next time. No, I'm just kidding. But that would be amazing. There is something funny in brave adaptations of works of um, works of literature from the 19th and 20th century. I love a musical that's non-linear, that uses the narrative structure differently, and especially adapts something that has a different narrative structure. I think that's cool. I think that's using musical theater as a genre to its best, to its fullest potential. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Wait, I'm pretty sure that I heard an interview during the research of this, like going, I wanted to do something like Cats, but then I didn't, re- I realized it wouldn't work like this. So yeah, sure. <laughs> I had to go more linear. I don't know which wild party they were talking yeah. about. But both, frankly, yeah. Oh my God. The last question is, is Lacusa's wild party a flop, a bop, or do we need to make it stop? Oh, I think it's a bop. Yeah, I think Great. it might be a bop. Maybe not this production mm-hmm. of it, maybe, but I like it gets produced and there must be a reason yes. behind it. Mm-hmm. Let's take a w- weird thing and make a musical out of yep. it. Big I'm so pro that yeah. right now. I, I just, I, uh, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I go bop. Mm-hmm. I, I agree completely, Peter. Like, love it or hate it. There's thought here. There's work here. This is not... An ignorant work, you know what I mean? It's uh, like there's a lot to unpack and you have to do it. You better be sure you're doing it smart and you've got the right people on your team when you're producing it to really yeah. navigate it, like you said, Peter, in a way that actually tackles the issues of the show rather than just paying lip service to them. But I think when that's done right, absolutely the show's a bop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. This specific production obviously wasn't the bop that they hoped it would be at the time, but I think it has legs as we see. So, yeah. Good job, Wild Party. Peter, is there anything you want to plug as we're um, as I take us out? Anything you want to give a shout out to that you're doing? I'm currently in a, a new Canadian musical uh, called Kelly v. Kelly that is happening yes! in the same venue as where I saw uh, Lucas's Wild Party with, with the, the same company, company that's yeah. producing. Yeah, totally. musical stage company, Kelly v. Kelly. And it takes place in 1915. And, Amazing. Uh, so, you know, hey, listen, we're, it's kind of in the same area. And it's really great. The music's fantastic. The book's great. We have a great group of people involved. Really so cool people come and watch that. Uh, I worked on a show on Broadway uh, called Fat Ham. Yeah, you did. Love that show. I, I worked on it very little, just behind the scenes as assistant to Illusions Design. And I think the show is very, very special. And oh, yeah. I, I want yeah. to bring it to Toronto. So go watch it while it's on Broadway. It's a very limited run. And I think it just got extended today. So if you can go out and watch Great. it, go watch it. Shall I take us out, Joe? Take us out. We'd like to thank the Canada Council for the Arts and the Crescent Arts Centre for supporting this season of Monkeys and Playbills. Um, we'd like to thank Peter Fernandez for being just the model of a guest and being... <laughs> <laughs> Tell our previous guests. <laughs> <laughs> Just a model, period. <laughs> um, Peter, you're you're one of the best. Whenever our paths cross, I'm just over the moon. Uh, I'm always excited to see you doing things, dude. No, y- y'all are the best. Let's hope. Let's hope we can meet in person soon. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, send us email messages telling us how much you loved the show or hated the show. We can talk about that as well. Thank you very much, everyone. Please. Have a wonderful summer. And stay tuned because we have a very special final episode of this season of Monkeys and Playbills where we're going to discuss, unpack, Bad Cinderella. (gasps) And we have with Nelson Betancourt, who saw the original production in the UK. So stay tuned for what's sure to be a very special, very loopy last episode of the season of Monkeys and Playbills. (laughs) Incredible.
Hi everyone, this is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theatre podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. We wanted to give a special thank you to the Canada Council for the Arts for supporting this season of Monkeys and Playbills. We also want to thank our producing partners, the Crescent Arts Centre, for their support. To learn more about the different podcasts in the Village Conservatory family, visit villageconservatory.com or look up the Village Conservatory channel in Apple Podcasts. 